0: Welcome to Night Voices. I'm executive producer Nolan Hamilton, and I will be taking you through some of Night Media's best podcasts this issue. Our first podcast raises a question, is screen
1: time ruining our childhoods? Greta, Sam, and Gerling dive into the memories and see if it's true.
2: Bright summer mornings with the birds chirping and lawnmowers buzzing are those refreshing memories we will never forget. Waking up and playing outside all day, every day, from kickball to Marco Polo in the pool. Coming home from a long day, exhausted from the constant play, and then hopping on the Wii to play Wii Sports Tennis with your siblings. Come join us. I'm Grilleen Verk. I'm Greta Sporces. And I'm Sam Carrico,
3: and we are Night Voices.
4: So, how has growing up changed with more technology use in children? Coming from our older half of Generation Z, the last group of children ever to have a balanced childhood between playing on electronics and using technology, while also simply playing outside. Because of this, we can see both the upsides and the downsides of technology use. I don't know about you guys, but I remember playing the game Animal Jam. I wouldn't be playing it all day though. I would play games like capture the tennis ball all day outside with a group of my neighbors. And when I finally went inside, Animal Jam was there waiting for me. And it was just such a fun way to end my day. Um, Now, when I see that game, it makes me miss it, but I also miss playing outside more, I would say, because as I've gotten older, that has become harder to
2: do. No, I definitely agree. When I was younger, I would love playing outside with my friends and siblings. We would play outside all day at the park, going on the swings, jumping off the slides, everything. Sometimes we would even go to the wave pool and that was definitely my favorite. Then after that, we were all tired from all the moving outside and then we'd come inside, crash on the couches to watch some movies or TV shows.
3: Same. I remember playing Club Penguin or Webkinz or other computer games with my older brother all the time. It used to be such a struggle sharing our family's computer. I also remember my mom teaching me how to do a penny drop on the playground on a summer night growing up. I'm going to miss the simplicity of spending time with my family growing up. Now that my siblings and I are starting to move out and I know those memories are what I'm gonna miss the most.
2: Senior Katie Klostermeyer shared her similar experiences to us explaining how she would play outside all day, every day, especially in the summer.
4: I always like really enjoy looking back at those moments of playing with my neighbors and my family outside because those are some of like the best memories of my childhood, like being outside from
2: seven in the morning to seven PM, like all day, every day. She felt she grew up constantly exploring her surroundings and it is incredibly grateful for it. Klostermeyer
4: also told us how she enjoyed playing outside more than being on her screen. I definitely enjoyed playing outside more because it was like making friendships and not just doing stuff on my own. So um, there was this one family across the street from me. They had four kids and it was basically like we were all just siblings together. Like it's kind of sad
3: though when you think about it because kids today don't get to grow up with these amazing memories because they are so sucked into their electronics.
2: A report released in October 2019 by the nonprofit organization Common Sense Media found that eight to 12 year olds in the United States now use screens for entertainment for an average of four hours and 44 minutes a day, and 13 to 18 year olds are on their screens for an average of seven hours and 22 minutes each day. Prospect AP
4: psychology teacher, Daria Schaffeld, explained to us her views on technology taking over the lives of not only her students, but also kids around the world. Being a mother herself, she is able to see the impacts on both the brain development of children, but also the negative impacts on focus for students.
5: If you think of the games, and if you think of the videos, and they're very stimulating, they're very active, they're very busy. And then you yeah. get into a classroom. Yeah, you're not getting all that. Yeah, classrooms are slower. Mm-hmm. Education is not a video game. So it's harder to pay attention. Well, if he's used to everything binging and banging and booming and blipping, it's hard to pay attention. In
3: my high school classes, teachers often have to interrupt class because of students on their phones. Even I have been guilty of distractingly looking at or getting sucked into my phone during class. This was never a problem when we were younger because we didn't have access to cell phones. Everyone was more present and focused in the classroom.
2: In her YouTube video, clinical psychologist Katherine Steiner Adair reports on how technology affects child development. According to her... This
0: is really hard on little kids as well as kids up all ages. It's that we lose what's called ambient awareness. We lose track of where we are in space and who we are with.
4: In light of this issue regarding technology, Schaffeld has tried hard to maintain the balance between technology use and real-world learning in her classes.
5: I've tried very hard to balance the, the interests that students have and I have in technology with making sure that they're not a distraction. So to me, it really is, it's a its a part of classroom management from a teaching standpoint. And it hasn't been a problem because it's always just been something that I've evolved with as it slowly um, became, they became available. I feel that
3: also explains that there are so many positive impacts that technology has, but everything must come in balance. Explaining her rules with her own nine-year-old son, Logan.
5: It's like striking a balance, you know, I wouldn't, serve Logan McDonald's every night for dinner, but he's allowed to have McDonald's every now and then.
2: Technological impacts go beyond just focus. Our social and conversational abilities are also impacted. Shackel spoke with us on how her pediatrician advised no technology use for her son and other children before the age of two years old, as it affects them negatively in the long run. To add on to this, Steiner Adair talks about how in this
4: generation of kids, The more they use technology, the more we see declines in their conversational capabilities, empathy, and ability to read social cues.
3: Because of this higher access to technology that is around today, kids now have more screen time than any generation ever before them. This comes with the need to be cautious and aware of the detriments that will come along with too much technology at such a young age.
2: We all remember having a healthy relationship with technology and the real world as kids. I mean, I remember playing a lot of Club Penguin as a kid, but it was different because it was more of a hobby and I did it on the side, but it's not as addicting as phones are nowadays.
4: Obviously, the development of technology is something we are very appreciative of, as it is currently a huge part of our daily lives and there are positives to it as well, but we must recognize and combat the negatives that come along with it by limiting our time. Sheffield explained her take on this as well.
5: So that's why to me it's an important piece of my teaching style, yeah. and it's an important piece of my parenting, because I want them to be used healthy. I want them to be an addition to our lives, our being school and home life, as opposed to a detriment.
3: Thank you for coming with us through this trip down memory lane as we reminisce on our childhoods, but we'll look at the differences in technology growing up and the negative impacts that is impacting future generations of kids. This
2: is Greta Sforzitch, Sam Carico, and Girlene Virk reporting for Night Voices.
0: Everyone seems to know about our world-renowned marching band, The Prospect Marching Knights. but what goes on behind the scenes with them?
1: Finley Moss with more. Whether or not they've heard them play at a competition, or the halftime show of a football game, most people probably know of our nationally recognized Prospect Marching Knights. So let's go behind the scenes and take a closer look at the marching band's success this year, what it's like to be a part of this group, and how they're preparing for next year. The Prospect Marching Knights have been named Grand Champions at the University of Illinois Marching Band Festival over 30 times. They've been selected for finals at least five times at the Bands of America Grand National Championship. They've also placed consistently well in other events and competitions, and are one of the best bands in the state of Illinois. Junior Emily DePaz, one of three drum majors who up lead the marching band, agrees on the fact that success isn't anything new for them.
0: We, we do really well. We our instructors are like help us do like the best we can, and we always like do well.
1: This year, the marching band attended several competitions. The PMK placed second in the Class 3A field at the Lake Park Lancer Joust, third place in the Class 3A field at the Lincoln Way Invitational, third place in the Class 3A and seventh in finals, the Illinois State Marching Band Championships, and first in Class 3A field at the Bands of America Regional Championships. But Depaz believes that the success of the band went beyond the contest. Did well
6: not only in a lot of,
0: like, competitions, which is what most people see, but, like, getting like the culture back and like
6: getting everyone
0: readjusted after the pandemic
1: For Ryan Mullen, a freshman at Prospect, his first year on the marching band was an amazing experience. Mullen admitted that summer camp was pretty exhausting at first, with eight hours a day, but that it was worth it.
7: It is a long time, but it passes quickly. If that's, that's kind of hard to imagine.
1: In his opinion, the October 9th trip to Iowa for the Bands of America Regional Championships was the highlight of the season. Mullen had to be at school by 4 30 a.m., and from there, the band traveled by coach bus to Iowa. The main event, was a band playing at the University of Iowa in a stadium that could seat thousands.
7: It was like on TV and stuff, so it, it was cool to 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 go there and then go back and stuff with your friends, yeah.
1: When it comes to the future of marching band, Mullen is excited for the experiences that await him.
7: There's, there's very little I'm not looking forward to. I'm, I'm looking forward to all the time I can spend with with my friends.
1: DePaz is also looking forward to her next year in the band.
0: Getting like freshmen involves seeing like everyone like start to improve and flourish. Like, I don't know, just like getting on the field, playing music is like basically my favorite
1: thing. With the successes of the past and the opportunities of the future, it certainly seems like a good time to be a prospect marching night. This is Finley Moss reporting for Night Voices. There's been quite a lot of controversy surrounding Florida's Don't Say Gay bill.
0: Bella Blano and Melissa Kim cover the high school reaction to the sudden roll-in
7: to walk out in protest of Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill. Don't Say Gay Bill,
5: but Governor Ron DeSantis has pledged to sign it. A
8: controversial bill in Florida. Critics
4: call it the Don't Say Gay Bill.
5: The Don't Say Gay Bill and the Trevor Project, along with GLAAD, are standing right behind them.
0: Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill, formerly known as the Parental Rights and Education Act or House Bill 1557, passed the Senate floor early March was recently signed by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on March 28th. Following the Senate's decision, protests broke out across the nation, reaching even states far from the legislation, like New York City. We say gay! We say
3: gay! We
5: say gay! We say gay! We say gay!
0: This controversial bill quickly became a target for media platforms nationwide. How could a simple bill attract so much attention? Today's episode, Controversies Behind Bill 1557, goes deep into the law, the reaction, and the effect of this act. Stay tuned, I'm Bella Bueno, reporting for Night Voices. The Parental Rights and Education Act was originally filed mid-January. After going through the House and Senate floors, having amendments of the bill altered, the bill finally passed Senate floor on March eighth with a vote of twenty two to seventeen. Governor Ron DeSantis then signed the bill on march twenty eighth twenty twenty two and this current law will go into effect on July first of the same year. This law is meant to give parents more power in their child's education and embrace its instruction of sexual orientation and gender identity in kindergarten through grade three and other grades if not deemed age-appropriate by state standards. If this instruction occurs in classrooms, parents can sue the school. Critics of the law believe it can harm youth by making them feel less valid or that their families aren't supported. According to Doug Berg, social worker at Prospect High School, these bills can hurt representation within schools.
6: Public schools are supposed to be about inclusion. They're supposed to be about diversity of thought. They're supposed to be about... um, being able to accept other viewpoints, Uh, and I think that uh, when you're restricting discussion of an entire group of people, then you are stopping that discussion and you are blocking those people who identify with that group from seeing representation.
0: Another critic of the bill, among many, is openly gay high school junior Jack Petos. Petos is an activist who attended Flagler Palm Coast High School, and he is a political strategy associate for Gen Z for Change. Petos believes that this legislation won't just harm grades K-3, through but also older students attending public schools. In an interview with ABC News, Jack Petos shares his views on this bill.
3: The vagueness is purposeful in this bill to continue this restriction in later grades. Um, Queer people aren't inherently not age-appropriate. You know, our existence fosters a more inclusive environment and a more inclusive future.
0: Supporters of this law believe that talk of sexual orientation or gender identity has no place in classroom instruction, especially for that K-3rd through grade level. DeSantis, a clear supporter, shares his views on this legislation, saying that these ideas where youth can, quote, pick genders shouldn't be at school.
8: And so how many parents want their kindergartners to have transgenderism or something injected into classroom instruction? And so I think those are very young kids. Um, I think uh, the legislature is basically trying to give parents assurance that, you know, they're going to be able to go and this stuff's not going to be there. But there's nothing in the bill that says anything about you can't say or this say. It's basically saying for our youngest students, four year olds, five year olds, six years and seven, do you really want them to be Keep being taught about sex, and this is any sexual stuff. But I think clearly right now we see a lot of focus on the transgenderism, telling kids that they may be able to pick genders and all that. I don't think parents want that um, for these young kids, and so I think that's what they were trying to do. Now, and and I and I think that's justifiable. I think it's inappropriate to be injecting those matters, like a transgenderism, into a kindergarten classroom.
0: This law caused many student walkouts across the state of Florida and protests nationwide. Florida students who opposed the bill, whether they are a part of the LGBTQ community or an ally, stood holding signs and chanting, We Say Gay. Patos organized a statewide walkout with students from over 20 schools participating in these peaceful protests. While Patos was suspended for distributing pride flags, he was able to get his message across in an interview with ABC News.
3: I organized these statewide actually in order to send a meaningful message to Governor DeSantis and the Florida GOP to stop policing our education and to stop hurting marginalized communities in the state of Florida, uh, particularly youth in those communities. Uh, We were so lucky to have over 25 schools partake in these walkouts in which thousands and thousands of students exercise their First Amendment rights in a peaceful manner. Um, You know, at my school in suburban Florida, we had over 500 kids partake and it was just amazing. The show of support and solidarity and opposition to this push.
0: In addition to this large reaction among Florida residents, there has been many walkouts and protests within Disney after Disney CEO Bob Chapek decided to stay silent on this legislation. Chapek sent a memo to his employees stating that corporate statements did very little to change minds and are often weaponized. This neutral stance, in addition to Disney's political donations, caused frustration within Disney's LGBTQ community and their allies. Political donations referring to the large sum of money that Disney gives to Florida politics and the fact that that money fell into the hands of all the sponsors and co-sponsors of the Parental Rights and Education Act. Chapek later apologized to employees after seeing the effect of his previous silence. He wrote, It is clear that this is not just about a bill in Florida, but instead yet another challenge to basic human rights. You needed me to be a stronger ally in this fight for equal rights, and I let you down. I am sorry. In this memo, Chapek says that he's working hard to create a better framework for political giving that ensures that their advocacy better reflects their values. Overall, there have been many strong reactions towards the law within youth, students, allies, actors, politicians, and more. While the law only applies to Florida's public schools, other schools are helping fight for these basic human rights, as Chapek puts it. However, with all this controversy and conflict, Berg believes that this law is being used as a political tool rather than actually trying to help students. feel like the discussion goes too far in,
6: in a certain direction um, or covers too much material. Well, I mean, who knows what that is? It's sort of a very nebulous type of concept of how how much information is is and who gets to decide what's too much information (laughs) so essentially you're having parents that are policing um the the school curriculum and and not that parents shouldn't have some idea of what's going on in classes and in schools but then you have one parent who's making a decision for all the parents right and that's also problematic i think
2: so um a
6: couple other states already have bills like this similar that are already passed. Do you think something like this could
2: happen in um, in
6: Illinois? Um, I would hope not, uh, and I I am less worried about it happening in Illinois because Illinois tends to be more of a liberal state in terms of those types of issues. Um, luckily so, and so I think that uh, um, that that it seems less likely that that would happen, and this. This does feel a lot like a, like a wedge issue that's just being used as a political kind of a tool. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily feel like it's in the interest, best interest of kids. It just feels like it's sort of a, a way to win votes.
0: While there is much media attention around the Parental Rights in Education Act, this isn't the only legislation that is potentially harmful to the LGBTQ community. According to freedomforallamericans.org, there are over 200 anti-LGBTQ bills in the U.S., two of which are in Illinois. One of those two bans trans students from playing sports in accordance with their new gender identity, which begs the question, could a bill like the one in Florida come to Illinois? Burke believes that the chances are slim, since Illinois tends to be a mainly liberal state. So, if a law like this will likely never reach Illinois, how do schools like Prospect balance parental power with teacher and student independence?
6: Yeah, I think so. I think the TPC is is um, you know the, the teacher parent um, conference. That that's a way for for parents to have input into the school specifically to Prospect. And then I think you know the board of education has open meetings, so the parents are able to go and. speak at those meetings and to be able to voice concerns that they may have or, you know, talk about if they have curriculum issues or or whatever, but then it's it's part of a larger community discussion. It's not part of just one parent.
0: Only time will tell further impact of this bill, but it's safe to say that with the reaction it's kicked up in the last several months, the fight is not going away anytime soon. Thanks for listening. Along Melissa Ken, this is Bella Bueno reporting for Night Voices. With our final podcast of the episode, Kevin Lynch
3: reviews the brand new Pokemon game, Pokemon Legends, and how it stacks up to the rest of them.
7: Kevin with more. Everyone knows Pokemon. You know the deal. Buy the Pikachu, you get to see your wife and kids again. You've got the movies, the merch, the cards, the anime, all beloved by millions of people around the world. And then you have the games.
3: People, people don't really like
7: the games. Okay, okay, step back. First of all, I'm not a die-hard Pokemon fan. Yeah, I loved the TV show and the movies as a kid, and I had a Pokemon Go phase that lasted... far longer than it should have. But, you know, as for the games, I've played... Uh, mm, let me check the official numbers here... Uh, <clears throat> no more than my local government requires me to. See, I first played a very small amount of Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu, which was a remaster of the very first Pokemon game. And then I begrudgingly forced myself to get through all of Pokemon Shield, which was, at the time, the newest Pokemon game. And I, in all my divine review writer wisdom, have discerned this one fact. They're like the same exact games, I'm sorry, it's true. You play as the most lifeless, generic, inoffensive protagonist ever conceived. You are on a quest to become a Pokemon master. You have to go to eight gyms. To collect eight badges you want to become the pokemon champion are you seeing where this is going yet they're all the same i'd honestly forgive you for forgetting that pokemon even has games at this point when you see all the dancing pikachus in the streets who's going to remember these tired old hack jobs that they keep spitting out and yes the dancing pikachus thing is very much real and yes you should absolutely look them up right now they're adorable Enter Pokemon Legends Arceus, the Pokemoniest legend that ever arceus. In this game, you play as a random child that was plucked out of space and time by Pokemon God and sent into the distant past in order to uh, uh, d- d- do something. As you might be able to tell, this game shakes things up by introducing something new and exciting to the series Theology. You end up joining the local Survey Corps, which means you're tasked with going into the wild and catching and studying all the wild Pokemon that live there. In addition, you'll have to deal with various mysterious occurrences that may or may not be happening due to a wormhole in the sky created by God, we'll get back to you on that one. On your quest, you'll be joined by various other locals and team members, all complete with absolutely no personality whatsoever, and they're stupid and annoying and I hate them all, but more on that later. You see, it's in the vast open world that you explore that the game actually manages to do something new. Well, I mean, you know, outside of all the religious implications, of course. In older Pokemon games, you would go from town to town on these very linear roads where you would occasionally encounter other trainers to battle or wild Pokemon just hiding in the grass. No, like as in you couldn't see them and you would just be walking and a Pokemon pops up and attacks you and you have to fight it now. Everyone loved that. That was that was great. That was great. Good good game design, guys. Keep up the good work. Meanwhile, in Legends Arceus, you're stuck in the middle of a big old world and told to hopefully not die. Pokemon are actually just roaming around the area now. In fact, you're the one hiding in the grass because it gives you stealth as you try to catch them. Wait, but if you're hiding in the grass, does that mean that you were the poke? You evolved into the Pokemon, but if you evolve into the Pokemon, then what are the modern day human? Okay, you know what? Never mind. Speaking of hopefully not dying, you you won't. You won't, trust me, you won't. Th- this game was designed for actual children. Y- you're not gonna die. It's it's really easy, There there's like absolutely no challenge. Sorry if that's what you were looking for. Yeah, okay. The gameplay mainly consists of going around and catching wild Pokemon, but unlike in previous games where you'd have to battle, weaken, and then catch the Pokemon, you can now just like, just, 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 just like, you know, throw the Pokeball. Th- Throw, 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 I just, I, you can't, you can't see me, I'm doing, I'm doing a throwing motion. That's what, that's what I was doing there, just, just whack it in the face, just point, step, throw. Okay, never mind. This may not sound like much, but it is glorious. You no longer have to wait for the battle to load, pick your attack, do the attack, hope you don't accidentally kill the dang thing, because then you can't catch it, and oops, you did because you suck, now go start over, idiot! And then you finally press the button and throw the Pokeball. This new method is way faster and more efficient, and it is much appreciated. There's arguably more strategy involved now, since you have to hide, then wait for the perfect opportunity to throw, and then pray to god you don't miss. And if you do, you can choose to either battle it or run as far as your stubby little legs will carry you. Some Pokemon are completely docile in your presence, while others will attack you on sight, which can be off-putting when that cute little fuzzball you found wandering around turns out to be hell-bent on electrocuting you. It's actually a little strange that the pokemon company would make a game where their lovable little mascots are just like the enemy kill or be killed scum actually many times during the story characters will tell you that quote pokemon are terrifying creatures to which i reply no sir that is a bulbasaur it's hard to explain if you haven't played any other pokemon games but here's the thing this gameplay is actually fun enjoyable engaging it's not I guess I have to keep playing this because it costs $60 and I'm too cheap to waste more money for another three months, like you might expect. The gameplay loop of roaming around and looking for new Pokemon to catch is actually really rewarding, and it makes all that standard Pokemon fun of raising up your team even more enjoyable. Plus, if you see a Pokemon that you're not sure that you have, you can just throw a Pokeball. You don't have to waste three minutes of your life to see that, oh no wait, it was just another Pidgeot, whoops. Now, how does this vast open world look? Is it the sprawling, gorgeous next-gen experience that Pokémon zip? <laughs> oh God! I I, you, I just spat all over my mic. Oh God, that's disgusting. I hope it still works. Oh God, what was I thinking? Ew! God, man, I hate Pokémon. <clears throat> anyway, oh yeah, okay, oh no, still works. See, the graphics don't really matter that much. They, they really don't. Yeah, it's annoying when a random textured an object just sort of pops into existence, and it's kind of weird that the world is just a generic sludgy texture, but I mean, this, this is a Pokemon game. It, it should look better, yeah, but no one in their right mind is buying this game because it looks pretty. Why are they buying it then? I'll get back to you on that one but you don't really notice most of the game's graphical shortcomings once you're into swinging things, I promise. Speaking of not buying the game for something, (laughs) let's talk about the story. Alright, I'll level with you, this game is clearly not focused on the story, the story isn't super important, and it's not nearly worth all of the time that I'm about to spend on it, but this is by far the most ridiculous story that I have ever witnessed in a game, dear god. At first, you might think, oh, this story is infantile. It's simple, lowest common denominator fluff that is both unmemorable and undeserving of the time that the game awards to it. And you would be right. But on the other hand, this is a complex and challenging story about the dangers of imperialism and the impact of outsiders on the landscape that they inhabit. I'm not kidding right now. This is this is actually uh, this is actually a plot point in, in a Pokemon game. It's it's, it's actually kind of thought provoking. I don't, I don't know. I had no idea whether I was on the right side of things here. The game would certainly lead you to believe that you are, but I was kind of left to wonder whether the actions of the Survey Corps were actually in the world's best interest? Like the people that were already living there have a thing going on. I mean, the the things that the Survey Corps does work, but are they better? I'm the protagonist, so you'd think I'm on the right side. Why am I thinking this much about it? I mean, not that this moral dilemma ever amounted to anything, of course. You know, a character would be like, God, do you think we should be catching all these Pokemon? And I'd be like, yeah, I I don't know, man, but I'm gonna hit A and see what happens. And then, you know, nothing happened, and I would just sort of sit there like, Oh, okay. Screw the indigenous, I guess. And yes, that is an extreme stretch from what I'm sure the writers were actually intending, but for the love of God, I need something to latch onto with the story this asinine, so just give me this. Besides, I've already made plenty of people mad by mentioning both religion and evolution already, so, you know, might as well go for broke. Pokemon Legends Arceus is far and away the best Pokemon game I've ever played, and while that might not be saying much, it definitely delivers something unique, if really not that memorable, and it definitely hooked me for a good while there. Even if by the time the credits rolled, I was just ready for it to be done. If you really want to get into the series or are just looking for an actual competent Pokemon experience for once, Legends Arceus is definitely enough to scratch that itch. Like if you're gonna buy a Pokemon game, buy this one. It's it's not great, but it still gave me less reasons to hate it than I honestly expected. In all, Pokemon Legends Arceus is just like me. Perfect if you have low expectations, and also just like me, it's best known for being a dirty yellow rat. You know, like like Pikachu. I I could make self-deprecating jokes all day. This is great, and you 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 know the graphics. The graphics are terrible, which you know if you've ever seen what my face looks like.
1: That's it for episode five. Thank you so much for watching Night Voices this entire year. I'm Nolan Hamilton, signing off with Night Voices.